page 1027. Mark 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, 
the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Thanks, Pat. Well, good morning, uh, all. And my name's Andy, the pastor here. It's great for us to be together this morning. I'll let me add my welcome, but I might start uh, and pray. Heavenly Father, it is just such an extraordinary day that we get to celebrate today. Uh, it's a tragic day in history where the sin of all humanity was laid on the shoulders of one man, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And Father, we just pray for our time together that whether we are close or far from you, that we would truly see Good Friday as it is. Uh, not only good, but good for us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, happy Good Friday. Happy Good Friday. It, it sounds weird kind of saying it, doesn't it? Because some names just don't go together, do they? Uh, I remember when my wife and I had our first child and we're talking about what we're going to name them. We didn't know what we're going to have, but we're talking about... We just found um, a girl's name. My wife found a girl's name that she'd loved. Uh, and it was Lacey. Uh, and, you know, if you know my, my... Like, Lacey, we're in the car and she said, I've found it, Andy, it's Lacey. And I said, I love the name Lacey, but it's not going to work. And uh, she said, why? I said, well, just say the name. She said, Lacey. I said, I said say our full name, Lacey Boots. <laughs> it's a great name, but just we couldn't pull that off, and I wouldn't want to put my daughter through, through that. Uh, we ended up getting a name close to Lacey, Macy, and uh, she's here. But, uh, you know, it took us a while to piece that together. But there's some names that just don't go together, right? And Good Friday... It just doesn't work for what we're remembering, does it? Celebrating Jesus' death. It's like saying good execution. It's like saying fantastic war. It just, it's just odd. It's weird. It doesn't go together. But why do we call it Good Friday? Uh, it, is, it is quite odd when you think about it that Christians celebrate something so tragic uh, you know, it's, it's something so horrible, so painful. Uh, and it's actually celebrated as the central point to our faith. You know, it's not Jesus' teaching, it's not his life, but it's actually his death which is central to Christianity. Uh, Jesus' life, it was tragically cut short. 
at the age of 33. Uh, Muhammad, founder of Islam, he lived till he was 63. Uh, Confucius, 73. Buddha lived till he was 80. Moses, founder of Judaism, lived to the ripe old age of 120. Now that is almost too long, but anyway, that's a, is a long time. Uh, but Jesus, tragically, he, he barely made his mid-30s. Uh, and his life was cut short. Most other males at the age of 30, if they've moved out of home, which I hope most of them have by then, uh, moved out of their parents' place, you know, they're trying to climb the career ladder, they're trying to pay off their mortgage, potentially raise a family. And yet Jesus, 33 years old, his life was tragically cut short. See, why do we call it Good Friday? Because it is interesting, as Caden read in that psalm when we started... Uh, Jesus echoes the same thing, that he makes a, a shocking statement that no one is good but God alone. And Easter, ironically, kind of proves that point, doesn't it? Uh, humans, our inclination is to execute the only true good person to have ever lived. But why? Why did it happen? Well, humanly speaking, we're kind of given three motives you know, we're given three explicit motives. Uh, Judas, one of his good mates, sells Jesus out for greed. Uh, we have chief, the chief priests, out of envy, hand him over to be killed to the Roman governor. And then Pilate, out of fear for the crowd, hands him over to die. I mean, that's the making of a great true crime series on Netflix, isn't it? Fear, envy, greed. See, it's just a typical human story. And when Jesus died, it wasn't a great moment for humanity. Uh, Mark, the, the gospel writer that we read, the account we read, picks up on the motive of envy for us. Have a look at uh, sentence number 10 there. Um, he says, For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. See, the crowd, they're given a choice between the innocent son of God and the terrorist Barabbas. And who do they choose? They, cho they choose to kill, to crucify Jesus. Now, it's out of envy that the religious leaders wanted Jesus dead. Envy. See, envy is more than just wanting what someone else has, but envy is kind of the pain that is caused by others' success. I heard it explained as uh, that part of you that hurts inside when other people succeed. The religious leaders, they couldn't handle the popularity of Jesus and his success and it, it hurt them. They were envious of him. And you can almost feel their satisfaction and, and, this, and their delight as they see Jesus die on the cross. Have a look at uh, what they say in sentence 31. He says, The chief priests and with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. It's like Jesus' pain kind of caused them some kind of sick joy. Um, I like to watch um, kook slams on YouTube. I don't know if anyone surfs here, but it's, it's kind of a, a compilation of videos of people who are learning to surf where they just get piled and smashed by waves and often onto the sand or rocks or whatever it is. You know, and there's just this... I always laugh and I love it. It's really funny. Um, 
It's kind of like, you know, I'm not the only one, I'd think, that likes these kind of things. You remember Funniest Home Videos? You know, we don't have to wait till Saturday night to watch that anymore. We can just YouTube it and there's a whole endless list of people getting hurt. Um, Most of them I'm safe, I'm sure. Uh, But it is... It's the, it's the religious leaders who are watching. They're kind of getting this kind of sick kind of pleasure at watching Jesus. But did you notice it's not just the religious leaders? It's also the soldiers. They get in on it too. Have a look at sentence number 16. Uh, the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him off the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. See, it seems like even the soldiers are trying to cause greater pain and shame to Jesus. It's kind of like they call over all their mates, hey, you've got, to, you've got to watch this, guys. You know, if YouTube was around, this would definitely go viral. But can you imagine how Jesus felt in this moment? The religious leaders mocking, um, shaming Jesus, the soldiers delighting in this moment. And add to that, kind of 12 of Jesus' disciples, as this happened, they just fled, right? They ran for the hills, and he's close mate Peter, his, his main man, denied him, denied even knowing him three times. And Peter would later go on to say, all Jesus did was he was doing good. See, Good Friday? Oh, I don't know. It seems more appropriate to call it Black Friday, doesn't it? It's a more suitable name. Yet, why does the church call this Good Friday? Why do we still hold to that? Well, I I think for good reason, and I have three reasons I want us to see from this account this morning together. The first reason we call it Good Friday is because of the darkness at Jesus' death. Have a look at verse 33, sentence number 33 there. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now, this is not kind of a, a solar eclipse. You know, the average solar eclipse lasts about seven and a half minutes. Now, this is three hours of darkness on the land from pitch black from midday till 3 p.m. Can you imagine that? You know, today at at midday, it just goes like night here. We get three hours of absolute darkness. It would be freaky, wouldn't it? Be thinking, what on earth is going on? But it went dark on that good Friday, that first good Friday, because that is what God had planned Uh, 750 years before this first Good Friday, Amos, a prophet, predicted it, prophesied that this moment would happen. Uh, This is one of the 300 prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Uh, Have a look at what Amos says. It will come up on the screen. Uh, He says, And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And I'll make it like the morning for an only sun, and the end of it like a bitter day. See, when darkness fell on the land, it was like God was switching off the lights. 
to what was happening. It was like he's switching off the lights of what was happening to his only son, and it's like he's in mourning. Uh, it's more than that too, because darkness is actually a sign of God's judgment. So in Egypt, uh, where the nation Israel is under the slavery there, part of God's judgment of the nation is he brings darkness on the land for three days. Now that would be freaky on, in that nation. Uh, Jesus himself describes hell with the phrase, the place of utter darkness. There's, there's not a party in sight. It's utter darkness. Now, I remember as a kid, uh, my brother locking me in the boot of a car. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how I got in the boot. You know, it's one of those ones that you, you shut the boot on the top. But he locked me in there, and it seemed like an eternity. Um, and I don't think I was ready for how dark it would get. It went pitch black in this boot, and I, I freaked out big time. Couldn't see my hands. I didn't know what was going on. I felt, you know, I was scared. I felt isolated and alone and helpless. I remember just crying out, you know, Mark, where are you? But anyway, it felt like forever, but it must have only been a, a minute or something. But, but here, right, is darkness, the judgment of God on Jesus. And he's all alone. He's experiencing the hell on the cross. See, our sins had fall on Jesus. It's as though Jesus is like a, a lightning rod on top of a tall building. You know those lightning rods on top of tall buildings that instead of the lightning striking you and I, it strikes Jesus in our place. See, at one moment in history, in one place, the, the anger of God gets focused down on one point and absorbed by the man Jesus. See, Jesus willingly, intentionally experienced the hell of the cross for you and I so that we would not have to. That's the first reason why we call it Good Friday. But the second reason we get is in what Jesus said on the cross. So it's three in the afternoon, it's been utter darkness for three hours, and Jesus cries out in a loud voice his final words. Have a look at sentence number 34. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it sounds Perhaps like Jesus is doubting a little bit, you know, maybe having second thoughts here. Uh, but actually what Jesus is crying out is he's quoting a king, King David, from a poem that he wrote from a thousand years earlier. See, David, the, the words that he said are the words of a Messiah, God's chosen king, are now coming out of Jesus' lips. And as Jesus is there hanging on the cross... He knows the scriptures and Psalms 22 represents what is happening to him at, at this point and is what is happening in the world. See, Psalm 22 is kind of functioning again as prophecy. You know, in Psalm 22, the Psalm of David that was written a thousand years earlier, he talks about details such as the piercing of his hands and feet. He predicts a crucifixion before crucifixions were even invented. Uh, he picks up the details of casting lots for his clothes. He's just another of the 300 prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. 
exactly the things of Psalm 22 happened. And Jesus cries out the opening of that psalm, my God, my God. Because he wants to say, what is happening to me is what's happened to the psalmist experience. See, why is the Father, or is the Father in some way actually forsaking his only son? Well, yes. There's something that happened within God himself. Jesus isn't making this up. This is really happening. And if we think about it, this is the only relationship that never had a beginning, right? From eternity past, God the Father and the Son had been in perfect relationship. But now at this moment that Jesus hung on the cross, it was coming to an abrupt halt. See, at Jesus' baptism, we hear the voice from heaven of, his, of, of God the Father say, This is my Son whom I loved and I'm well pleased. But now as Jesus is hanging on the cross... He's abandoned. God does nothing. The Father seems absent. See, why doesn't God step in? He could have. See, why doesn't Jesus step off the cross? He could have. But Mark 10.45 tells us the answer to that question. As before he heads to the cross, he gives us the reason for his death. Jesus knew this was coming. He deliberately, willingly goes to his death. Have a look up on the slide of Mark 10.45. He says, For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. You see, Jesus purposefully gave his life as a ransom, as a payment for the price to set us free, the payment for the price that we had no hope of paying ourselves. See, many of us carry debt, don't we? Uh, we understand the concept of debt, and the sin is often translated in the Bible as debt. Uh, you know, we have debts of mortgage, and which you know, many of us might be feeling the pinch of those right now as the interest rates rise, but maybe you have a debt of a loan on a car or a phone or a credit card. Uh, but human sin incurs a debt towards God that we couldn't pay. And we just simply owe a debt that we can't pay off or back. And this debt incurs eternity in hell. But at the cross, Jesus paid that debt once for all. The debt that he never owed. That's why he says in his last words, not in this account, but it, that's why he says, it is finished. Debt paid in full. His death was the rescue price. See, all the sin of the world, the, the, the guilt, the shame, go on God's only son. So much so that his son now becomes unfit to be in God's presence for the first time in their eternal relationship. And Jesus is abandoned to the grave for me, for you. My sentence of hell. That is the, the sentence owed to me because I am unable to pay the debt. A lifetime of rebellion against God. Jesus paid that penalty. Jesus paid that price. Uh, it's a wonderful, profound concept of, and it's at the heart of the Christian faith. Jesus standing in our place. It's core to why it's Good Friday. Now, if you had to answer what was Jesus' life all about, 
I wonder what you would say. I wonder how you would answer that. Now, I've heard many people say, you know, Jesus came to show us a better way to live. You know, maybe you think that or have heard that. And while he definitely did that, if that is all you've said, you've completely missed the point of what his life is all about. See, Jesus purposefully, intentionally came to die our death in our place as a payment for sin so that we would not have to face the punishment of our debts. I mean, this is very good news. This is why we call it Good Friday. And it's not just an impersonal good news. This isn't just a religion. No, this is a real man in real history there for you and I in our place. See, why was Jesus God forsaken? The answer is for me. The answer is for you. God abandoned his son who became sin so that he would not have to abandon us. See, this is why Christians hold on to calling it Good Friday. And can I say, when you get this, it really does transform your life. Now, here's a photo. Does anyone know who this is? Leela Abdullah. You know, uh, she was the woman who, um, in February 2020, uh, the drunk man ran over and killed three of her kids. They were aged 8, 12 and 13 in a pedestrian accident. Do people remember that? It was horrific, right? But do you remember what she offered to this man? She, like a few days later, came out saying, I will forgive this man. Just, it was such a powerful moment. I remember all the articles just going, what the heck? How? How is that possible? Uh, See, how is that possible? How is that response to such a horrific and tragic moment possible? Well, it's because she knows the debt that she has been forgiven by God, that her slate has been wiped clean, and she is able to offer forgiveness to others. See, her response captures something so profound to Christianity. It's once you get your debt and how good it is that your debt is forgiven by God, because of what Jesus has done, then you're able to freely offer forgiveness to others. And it's just so radical in our world where forgiveness is so hard to come by. See, we call it Good Friday because Jesus took God's judgment and he was forsaken for us. That's my first two points. My last point and final reason why Good Friday is good is because of the, turn, the torn curtain. Sentence number 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. See, the temple uh, was, it kind of represented uh, the presence of God for the Israelites. Uh, it, there was a one place that God would dwell on earth with his people. And it, within the temple, there was a cube shaped room, and it was called the Holy of Holies. Uh, and now, the Holy of Holies, uh, the high priest could only go in there once a year. Uh, he would have to offer a sacrifice for himself before and a sacrifice for the people. Uh, and they would, he would enter in that place once a year. Now, often they would put a rope around his leg, uh, just in case while he was in God's presence in the Holy of Holies, uh, he died so they could pull him out. 
See, the temple sacrificial system constantly gave you the sense that though God was close, yet he was so far because there was this thick curtain separating humanity from God's dwelling place. It's separating the most holy place from the rest of the temple. It's like in the kids' talk, that big sign, keep out. It was a constant reminder that because of your sin, you're not fit to be in God's presence. Now, you know the the GoPro cameras uh, that you you put on your head and you, you, know, you, you put it on your head so you can film things and show everyone how much of a hero you are. Do people know? Um, can, can I say, imagine if you had one of those, right, for your whole life. And not only was it on the outside of your head showing all your actions, but imagine it was inside your head showing all the footage of your heart and your thoughts and your mind. Now, imagine, right, if you were here today and we said, okay, we're going to... Th- throw this footage up and we're all going to watch it together. How would you feel? I tell you, I'd be running straight that door, I think. I'm out. I'd be running for the hills. Um, But here's the thing. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our guilt, our shame, our dishonour, and he knows that we aren't fit to be in his presence, that we on ourselves, we don't don't have a right to access him. Yet here's the significance. When Jesus died, at that very moment, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. At the exact time, sins completely paid for. My guilt, my shame, my dishonour, all dealt with. It's like God is showing us, now you can come to me. Now and only now you can come and approach me with confidence. And he's saying, don't hide away. Come to me. What liberating, freeing news that is, this Good Friday. It's just amazing. It's not religion. It's not you have to work for it. It's Christianity, paid in full. All past, present and future sins dealt with Jesus on the cross. Sins forgiven. Shame dealt with. Purpose given. And he says to you and I, come to me and you can know this for yourself. Uh, I'm not a great Facebook user. I'm more of a Facebook stalker, so I don't post anything. But I know there are two ways, right, to reject people's friend requests. I haven't done the first way, which is the straight up, no, thank you. You know, not interested, no, I don't want to be your friend. Or actually, I have. Anyway... I have done that. Sorry. Um, But the other way, which I think is more usual, is, you know, you just kind of leave the request hanging. You leave it in the inbox, the friend request area, and you just ignore it. But the end result is the same, isn't it? Whether you reject blatantly or whether you just choose to ignore somewhat politely, but we all know what's going on, uh, you know, it's essentially the same thing. Can I say to you guys this morning, please don't ignore Jesus politely this morning. Please don't hear his request to come to him and don't take him up on his wonderful offer. He's saying to us this morning, this Good Friday, let me serve you. Let me die, forgive and offer you freedom. 
Know that I've paid your debt so you can have free access to God. Because they don't let another day go past not knowing this for yourself. You know, tonight could be the first time in your whole life where as you go to sleep and you put your head on your pillow, you can with confidence know that your sin has been dealt with by Jesus. You can know that your debt has been paid, that you are forgiven and you have free access to God. Can I say that is a wonderful, amazing truth that just blows me away. And if you haven't yet taken up Jesus' offer, you can. You can right now. Uh, You can, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that as I finish here, and you can echo these words that I pray uh, in your own heart, and it's a prayer that uh, Jesus loves to answer. So I'm going to finish by praying these prayers. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, we thank you for that very first Good Friday. Father, thanks that you did not abandon me and us to the judgment that I deserve. We thank you for your incredible love in Jesus who paid my debt in full, who tasted my hell so I don't have to. Please take charge of my life so I can serve you all the days of my life and live with joy of knowing sins forgiven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, if you have prayed that prayer, uh, you know the 